Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and joined, as always, by Don Pizzette. Don, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Well, actually, not really. Allergies are going crazy right now, which is fun. But, uh, you know, getting into the holiday season and our stretch of exciting and different podcast episodes we got lined up. Aren't allergies more of a spring thing? Apparently not for me. I don't know. Maybe it's special, special allergies. Hmm. Very nice. All right. And Daniel, how are you? Just contemplating how you just lie to our listeners every time you say, as always, with Don Pizzette. <laughs> it's true. Fat ball of lies right it, there. It's always a special <laughs> yeah. uh, occasion when, when Don joins us on his own show. Yeah, it's so nice. I want to thank you for that. And we are joined today by a special, uh, is that fair to say, special uh, guest? I'll approve. Well. Okay. Uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Rob Rostovich, who is the CTO of Thing Logics. How are you doing today, Rob? Very well indeed. Thanks for having me, guys. How is it? You're, you're in like the other corner, right? You're up in Oregon? I am in the great state of Oregon in a little town called Bend, Oregon. Oh, Bend. Okay. Is that because like the river has a bend? Or? Now, I am really, now I'm really impressed because, yes, that is exactly right. why it's called Bend, Oregon. How did you know that? It was honestly a guess. I assumed there was a river. There's actually a river that runs through it, and it's where the river bends. And that's how they call it Bend, Oregon. Perfect. <laughs> We're teaching people. Today we learned. We did. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what river. Or, yeah. oh, let me yeah. guess. Uh, I don't know. You're river? on a roll here. Might as well go. Is, is there the like snake a snake river? <laughs> there is, but the wrong part of the country. <laughs> oh. I was going to say, can we get that? The more you know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll add that. We'll that add in that in post. post. It was there. Yeah. You just didn't gotcha. notice it because okay. it was added in post. All right. Well, let's get to know a little bit more about Rob. Not as much his geography, uh, but about what he does and his IT journey in our first segment, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Rob, in this segment, we are going to rapidly fire questions at you. You'll see a timer appear on the right side of the screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you. And we'll move on to the next question. Uh, We'll rotate around through each of the hosts, and we're going to start with Peter. All right, so I mentioned uh, that you are with ThingLogix. So can you give us kind of just an overview of the company, what you guys do there? So ThingLogix is an IoT services company. We were actually born out of another company that we started called Telemetry, where we um, uh, we had developed an ingestion layer of uh, IoT data, and we sold that to Amazon. So what is today uh, known as the microservice as AWS IoT was the technology that uh, Amazon acquired from us. And then ThingLogix was born out of um, that technology to provide professional services around um, developing IoT projects for the enterprise. All right. Now, I know uh, just just a few years ago, IoT was the innovation, but you've said that that IoT allows people to further innovate. So what is it about the IoT platforms that I think now have kind of become commonplace that's allowing people to innovate differently than they could before? Well, it's I think it's the it's the um, the time to market, right? So we have got, you know, what we've done at ThingLogic is built um, a platform around a um, IOT uh, solution. So the way I like to describe it is what Salesforce did for CRM, um, ThingLogix has done for IOT. So in other words, I know, I'm sure Mark Benioff and Parker Harris were sitting around one day and they go, you know what? I got an idea. <laughs> Everybody's building a database and they're calling it accounts and contacts and leads and opportunities. Why don't we just 
build that and give that to them so that they can innovate and you know create CRMs uh, quicker. So we took a, a page out of that playbook and did the same thing for IoT. Everybody needs these common building blocks. So why not give that to them so that we can get um, real um, you know, innovative solutions to market quicker? That's actually kind of cool. And now um, my question is going to bring it back a little personal, right? I know we were trying to get away from your Oregonian oh, <laughs> history here, but from what I understand, you actually run a cattle ranch out there as well. Do you get to innovate in uh, uh, IoT into cattle ranching? Or how, how does that work? What's the deal? Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, wait, you do technology and cattle? Um, you you must, drones. must be kind of schizophrenic <laughs> or something. Yeah. You know? uh, but ironically enough, uh, IoT and agriculture is actually one of the biggest use cases for IoT. Um, and I'm my, the ranch I live on, it's, it's 102 years old. I've been here. We're the oldest ranch in Deschutes County, the county I live in, Ben, um, that is um, still operated, owned and operated by the original family. Um, so we have cattle in, in our town. There's a lot of beer. Uh, I don't know if you guys are uh, craft beer drinkers, but Deschutes Brewery is a big brewery. So we pick up the mash, the spent grains from the breweries, and we feed that to the cows, and then we sell it back to the uh, pub. So when you come to Ben and you have a burger and a beer, you're eating a burger raised on the beer you're drinking. That's kind of well. Cool. <laughs> and in the IoT world, I wanted to create that same kind of thing. So we actually are creating smart corral systems whereby, you know, the corrals can open and close gates based on, you know, the cow that needs to go to market because the cow that goes to market today is the slowest one, right? The one that you can easily catch. That's not necessarily the one that should always be going to market. So we are actually using IoT in the, in the, uh, on the ranch. Uh, we actually used it a couple of years ago. We grew uh, industrial hemp and we'd use uh, image recognitions to recognize male plants, which you don't want you know, in your, in your hemp crop. So yeah, agriculture is a big, a big uh, use case for IOT. We are learning a lot of we interesting really things today. <laughs> I want to do a whole show just about that. Yeah. I mean, it takes the guilt out of it that, you know, I didn't kill that cow. That, that rat's pie killed the cow. But <laughs> yeah. what, what can I do? Well, and, and you don't want male hemp plants. Yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> I, I learned some of that in Narcos, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so a, a term that I saw on your website was AIOT, uh, which yeah. we're, we're mixing AI and IOT there. So what exactly does that mean? I know you kind of, it's like a partnership with IoT and, and, and artificial intelligence. Yeah. So <clears throat> IoT has kind of become this buzzword, right? That means everything from if you can put a graph on, you know, on a web page, it shows you, you know, what, how the temperature is going up and down. It's IoT. It could be firmware that goes onto a device that chirps up MQTT data. MQTT data. You know, it kind of became a, a, a larger thing. But I am a traditional and I've always been a, I'm a Java programmer um, and I'm a, been in, you know, consulting and delivery for most of my career. And as a result, I was always looking for a way in where do you write code? So when I go into an enterprise and they say, we got this problem, X, Y, and Z, and we need a solution. I'm always looking like, okay, where do I put my logic? Where do I put, you know, the, where do I, in, insert the code. Well, you know, when we had the old days of a server with a request and response, we put this code on the server and you sent a request and the, the code processed your request and sent you a response. And, but with IOT, it's, it was diff, it was difficult because it's, you know, real time, it's event driven, just messages are coming around and they're flying around. So you got to have a way to put that logic in there. And that's actually where the name thing logics came from was 
Where do we put the logic for our things? And so what we ended up doing was creating that intelligence, which is a combination. And a lot of times people think of AI as, you know, predictive maintenance and, you know, predicting the future and predicting the outcome of football games. And that's all true. But it's also where do you actually put your code to actually make decisions and take actions? And so that's what ThingLogix ultimately became was a way to put logic and a solution in place for an enterprise uh, problem. That makes sense. All right. So one last question. And I, I'm starting to see the picture now. Uh, you, you have something called Chirply, which is an SMS platform coming out. Yeah. And at first I was confused, like, where does that fit in? But you were talking a second ago about all the messages that are going back and forth. So so how does that fit in with uh, with the overall company? Yeah. So ironically enough, Chirply is so it's just SMS messages, right? So it's a the ability to put logic and intelligence around messages and an SMS message is just a message is the same. But Triple A was actually born, ironically enough, out of the beef business. Um, so I was, you know, I sell, you know, from on my ranch, I actually sell the, the beef to local, you know, local consumers. And I was doing the traditional stuff. I was doing you know, sending email marketing and, you know, pushing people to your website and having them order um, online. And the response rates on emails are, you know, less than 1% and, and it takes a long period of time and phone calls require people to answer them. And so one day I decided I'm just going to get rid of that. I'm going to do nothing but SMS messaging. So I threw away all the email addresses and I used our platform to, instead of send a message to a device, I sent them a message to a consumer. And that when we when we started doing that, my response rates for for product went from like one percent to like twenty percent. Um, the interaction with my customers cut in half the amount of time it took me to coordinate deliveries and all that other stuff. So I realized that, you know, this is actually a technology that is needed, you know, in in the in the marketplace. So we started developing that on and putting AI in the middle of the messages. So doing go. things like you know, automatic translation. So if you want to speak, if you're a Spanish speaking person and I'm an English speaking person, you know, uh, you can translate the message on the fly on the way out. You can, you know, uh, reorder by taking, you know, scanning your barcode. You can do applications and do, um, you know, full full end-to-end -end applications using SMS messaging. And because ThingLogix had that kind of event-driven architecture stuck right in the middle there, it was a natural. So we actually turned it into a whole product whereby, and I call it AI SMS, right? The ability, again, to put intelligence in your SMS, not just not just chatbots. I mean, although chatbots certainly are part of it, but really put, um, you know, intelligence around um, the, the SMS platform. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I love the idea of my cow uh, <laughs> texting me. <laughs> Or like texting the customer of like, yeah. your your cow is eating its last meal. Yeah, and yeah. then I could, I could get that in French if yeah. I wanted to. And it, then, it does beg like the question of Le Mou. Why, why call it chirply and not like moobly? You know, yeah. <laughs> Great googly moobly. It was taken. Yeah. All the good ones are, Don. All right, well, I wanted to switch gears a little bit while we have you and dig in a little bit more. I mean, we've already talked about IoT in ways that I hadn't even thought of it before, so this is kind of a good segue. Uh, we have an article here from iotbusinessnews.com shining a spotlight on the benefits of IoT innovation. We were just chatting a little bit before uh, the, sh the show started about kind of where you see the future of, of IoT and innovation. So why don't you give us a little bit of, of an overview of that? So I guess the, the best way to describe it is um, the situation was a couple of years ago. I had a, had a company come to or a, a, a pool a maintenance company. They, you know, they go around and they, you know, take care of your jacuzzi and your pool. And they came to us and they said, well, 
we're trying to, you know, upgrade our image and we're trying to get a better, you know, customer experience, whatnot. So this is what we'd like. We would like, you know, to upgrade our website so that you can do scheduling on our website and you want to be able to order products on our website. And we want to be, you know, have people to be able to interact with us on our website <clears throat> and we want to try and take it to the next level. Right. And I says, well, that's not what we want to do because what you're doing there. And I, and this is a, you know, a technical term request and response, you know, the old, you know, I send a request, I get a response. Well, that's the way we done. We did business. You send me a request. I will give you a response. You ask me to come clean your pool. I will come clean your pool. I says, let's change that around. Let's change the business model, make it more sticky for your customer. So instead of, you know, upgrading your, your existing infrastructure of your website and whatnot, let's get a connected pool pump. So now you have a pool pump that you can install. Now um, that pool pump will send back data to, um, to the office of the, the chemical levels. It'll do predictive maintenance. You know, tell you if the pool's going, what, if the heater is going out. So now you can do a, a business as a subscription. So now the chemicals arrive to you when you need it, not when you ask for them. Um, and instead of you making that emergency phone call on Friday night, because you got a pool party on Saturday, you know, we scheduled the, the maintenance two weeks in advance because we could recognize through the AI that that particular pump may be failing or it has a profile of failing. Um, it's, it's a, um, you know, your, your cleanings and your, your scheduling is not so much anymore um, done on a level of, you know, when you ask for it, it's done on a level of when you need it. And That's that a, type, sorry, go ahead. It's a, it's a really neat innovation there. And, and something I hadn't really thought about, right? Because the, the first wave of IoT stuff that we were all exposed to was very visible, right? These were smart thermostats or smart TVs, yeah. you know, it, things that we directly interact with. But what you're describing, like a, a smart pool pump, that that's something you get installed and you never think about it. So like, is, is that what we're going to see now? It's more backend services, things that are transparent? Yes. And I think, I think what we're going to start seeing, and this is where I, you know, uh, I, you know, I always get <clears throat> years as, as the years have gone by, we always talk about, you know, we, we log on, go to www, www, whatever, and, you know, take an action or interact with the company. I think that's going to start disappear, disappearing, you know, where you have to be in, in computer five years from now, if we have the same discussion, we're going to talk, remember, we used to have to open up a browser and we'd have to go someplace, but you're exactly right. I think it's disappearing. It's going back in there and it's not going to be a situation where it's going to be kind of in your face. It's going to be this sticky kind of, you know, relationship that you have with your, the people that you want to do business with. And another great example is this, the simple beef, beef business, right? So when I sell you some ground beef, I don't want you to, you know, have to think about, oh, you know, I got to go order some more ground beef or we're going to be out. You know, I'm going to send you ground beef. I know how much you bought. And so when you start to run out of ground beef, I should either have some more right at your door or be sending you a message saying, hey, more ground beef is on the way. Just like that, the you'll start seeing the these business models where we are subscription-based, you know, where event-based uh, businesses is really where things are are headed. And I mean, you think about what was possible in the late '90s because I went through the dot-com boom. Amazon was not possible before, obviously, the internet, right? It couldn't we couldn't have been ordering all this stuff the way we did that uh, the way we do that on Amazon. Well, now we have this innovation. Where it wasn't possible to do these subscription-based things before, but now it is, and I think business is still having a tough time trying to get their head wrapped around how they do that. 
I just can't imagine coming outside and there just being ground beef ready. <laughs> like it knew before I knew. With with uh, cannabis and, you know, yeah, hemp. Yeah, the hemp and all that stuff. I got to move to Oregon. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I keep thinking about, it, it, every week Daniel finds some way to scare the crap out of us with IT security issues and, and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we... We do hear about IoT devices getting compromised. That sometimes they don't get updated. You know, they, they didn't have good secure coding practices in place when they were developed because they were rushed to market. There's a lot of negative press around security yeah. and IoT. If it's a device I don't even think about, like I'll go with the pool pump again because yeah. it's it's not even in the house. It's outside and it connects via Wi-Fi. We don't even think about it. A device like that could be compromised and we're not even aware. So how is, is IoT innovating in that space as well? Are there new ways that they're securing the devices? Yeah, and that's always been, you know, that was been since day one, we've been trying to figure that out. And there's are, you know, there are horror stories out there uh, about, um, you know, people going into a hotel and uh, compromising a device and being able to turn all the lights on and off around the hotel. Um, my, my favorite story about that was <laughs> the a rental car company made a, an IOT device that you could get your phone and, you know, unlock the car and it would start the car. Well, this older couple was out, you know, where there was no Wi-Fi signal and they got out of their car to take a picture and they couldn't get back in, <laughs> you know? Um, and then, so and there's all kinds of those stories going around. So yeah, security has always been, you know, the number one issue. And we have put in, in place, not only just best practices, uh, but it continually gets better and better. You know, um, I remember again, going back to the dot-com boom, uh, the first, the first website I put up, you know, I tried to convince this company, I go, Hey, people are going to buy stuff online. It was a tool company. I go, there's no way they're going to buy anything online. I mean, nobody's going to put their credit card online was the thing back then. Well, they did. And you know, is it going to be secure enough? Was it secure enough day one? No, probably not. You know? <laughs> I, I remember it's using not like secure enough now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the early days, like using yeah. a credit card online without SSL. Yeah, it, oh, that, that would be crazy <laughs> now. Yeah. I remember yeah. in my yeah. at my old job, we uh, we did e- e-commerce, and we worked with a, a large restaurant chain that I'm, I'm sure is all, all over the country. And uh, we were helping them do their, their gift cards, and and you know you could order steak knives and things like that. And we, we were getting a tour of their office, and. Uh, we said, all right, so where are you storing the credit card data right now? And they're, oh, come over here. And it was a room of file cabinets. And they were printing out all yeah. of them and just putting them in, in the yeah. file cabinet. Just not smart. The world yeah. changes. Yeah, it, it hopefully. Uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you, I know you are involved in a podcast of your own because we've just scratched the surface here. And so if people want to hear you know, more about uh, all this, tell us about that podcast a little bit. Yeah, so Thing Logic, we run we run a podcast where we you know kind of just you know chat about some of these uh, innovations, you know that are happening. You know, like we were talking about what what the future of business is and how businesses can capitalize on this and 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 move forward. And it's not just you know, and it's it's funny because it's not just IoT. IoT was kind of our excuse, you know, because we always thought you know devices we're going to start talking about, but really it's not just the Internet of Things. It's the Internet of everything. You know, um, the new UIs that we have, you got, you know, Alexa, Google Home, um, you know, the SMS messaging, the way that we're interacting with the Internet, if you will, um, is changing. And so we just talk about some of those opportunities. Um, And I, you know, we've always been, you know, we've we started ThingLogics right after the acquisition, which was, I think, in uh, 11 or 12 um, and was always, you know, pushing on how to do these things. And I always say we, we, we have developed a solution for a problem that most people don't know they have. 
Um, and it's kind of fun, right? But it's not always profitable to be out on the bleeding edge because it hurts sometimes. Uh, but right now, I think even with the pandemic, you've seen there's been more and more of um, adoption of this stuff. And we have an office in the Middle East, uh, in Dubai. And over there, the adoption of IoT and, and new ways of doing business has even been much quicker than it is here in the States. So what, what's that podcast called? It's ThingLogics. Okay, it's just call ThingLogics. Thing Logi- okay, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, ThingLogics.com uh, is the website. That's Logics with an X. Um, so be sure to check that out, and, and you can see all that. And, and we mentioned Chirply. That's not out yet, right? That's coming soon? That should be out in the next couple of weeks. It'll have a managed package connecting into Salesforce plus its own UI. Um, so when you want to start, you know, connecting, you know, your sales organization through SMS and being able to put intelligence around, um, you know, messaging going out to your customers, uh, well, it'll be part of that. So it should be out in the next couple of weeks. Very cool. And just so you know, I'm not crazy. I looked up the Snake River uh, runs down the border. <laughs> of Oregon and Idaho through Hell's Canyon. So there's a Snake River out there. Because I was thinking yeah, there the is farms, the right? River. Yeah, there's yeah. the Snake River farms with the yep. Wagyu. Snake River. There's the Snake Rivers on the Eastern Oregon and the Deschutes River is right where I'm right, what runs right through Deschutes. Bend. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, we, we haven't talked about IoT in a while. We've been really yeah. security heavy. So that was cool to, to hear about some of those new things that are, are coming out. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time to tell us all about that, Rob. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. We're going to take a quick break now, and we're going to come back and talk about the news from this week. That's all coming up on TechNado with Don Pizzette. Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e-learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching. So an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for ITPro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. The dashboard is great because you can actually pick up right where you left off. You can also end up seeing new courses that are available to you, and with a membership you have access to a variety of study tools. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. And uh, thank you so much to Rob for joining us. And uh, I know... You guys were learning. I was just getting hungry. Uh, that Every like, example is beef. I need a steak burger so bad I can yeah. taste it. I love the examples. Beef or the jacuzzi. Yeah. That's where I eat my beef. Yeah, I was going to say, if you could put those things together. I just have a giant, you know, yeah. two-pound hamburger. My jacuzzi is just a sous vide. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all like uh, au jus. I am cooked. Oh, my God. Stop it. Stop I'm it. I'm pretty sure this would fail, like, Every health department check. <laughs> I mean, if it's just you eating there, if you had a French dip yeah, I mean, and, and you were just dipping in your own crazy. jacuzzi, I am yeah. well, on board. That's tasty stuff. I'll look into that. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be in Sky Mall oh, next oh, year. I was just thinking of those jets after like two days <laughs> oh, of running it and let it cool off. Oh, the fat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got to get the fat out. Yeah, I got to get it out. I mean, yeah. yeah. They've got personal saunas in the Sky Mall. I know a personal au jus. <laughs> 
Mm. Mm. One of those old people tubs that you get in and shut the door, uh-huh. it fills up, yeah, it fills up you. around you. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, because <laughs> if I fall asleep, I want it empty on its own. <laughs> Drown in Oshu. Yeah, that's, that's the next wave of yeah. IoT. Yeah, it detects it. Yeah, the AI. Yeah, nose up. Peter's nodded off again. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna drain the Oshu out of this tub. All right, let's move on to the news. From let's move on to something. to something else. Anything but that visual. All right, uh, our first article comes to us from bleepycomputer.com. Germany to force ISPs to give discounts for slow internet speeds. And I know, uh, Daniel, you're against anything where the, the government is forcing anything to do anything. But I kind of like this idea because it's it's basically like well, you go to the gas pump and it, it, you know, it, it says it's been regulated, it's been checked by... By someone, a scale has been checked. So this is I would just making say it's sure not that you're so getting... much a force you to do something. I mean, yeah. they force you to not kill people as well, and that's, that's okay. True. I appreciate that. Right? So this is more like, hey, you've lied to your customer, and there will be repercussions for that, which is them getting a discount. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm all about companies being uh, accountable for what they advertise, right? If they advertise that I'm getting gigabit internet, then I believe I should get gigabit internet access. Maybe not 100% of the time, but most of the time, right. since that's what they're advertising. If they can't provide it most of the time, they shouldn't advertise that. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is that the German government is going to be enforcing it, that they will have an application that people can run from their home to test the internet connection. And what it does is it basically connects 20 times spread out over a 48-hour window of, of time. So it, it'll do these 10 tests one day, 10 tests the next day to see what the average speed is, right? Because, you know, you might get spikes and different mm-hmm. things happen, so it runs the test. And then... Based on those results, if you're getting a slower speed than the advertised speed, the ISP has to give you a discount. Now, that sounds like a pretty good way to protect consumers and sounds sounds really good. But as I was reading through this and I tried to find as much information on it as I could, there's a, a couple little holes that I can see in this, right? Um, one problem that I immediately thought of is, for example, when I'm in my office, I, I have a gigabit Ethernet adapter in my laptop, but when I plug in in my office, I have a docking station and I only get 300 megabit of throughput through that dock. Like there's something about the drivers or whatever where I only get 300 megabit. So I might be paying for gigabit internet and only see 300 megabit. But you're getting, yeah, gigabit. And, And it's my own fault because it's my device, right? And maybe in my home, I've got my laptop, but then I've got my kids, my wife, you know, and and sharing. Right. So how do you effectively measure this without using the router? Well, or even on the opposite side of the fence, wouldn't the ISP be able to QoS to that specific server where they're testing? So anytime you made an outbound connection, they were like, oh, pull the brakes off of it. Potentially, yeah. rock. No one would be the wiser. This is the country where Volkswagen was uh, doing the same thing with their their things. So that brings up the the question I was going to ask, Don, because I got, um, what is it, the Eero uh, mesh uh, Mm -hmm. thing at home. And so that came with an app. And so, you know, I would always just do my speed test on on my laptop and I'd say, well, I'm paying I'm paying for a gigabit and, I'm, and here's what I'm getting, which is, is not that. But then I do the speed test on the router uh, yep. and that's getting, yeah, 900 and something. So do you think they'll be testing at that point somehow? So Probably. they would have to, but in all the descriptions I've seen, this is actually tied to either an app or a software application you download and run on your own machine. And so I can see numerous faults with that. Yeah. This is one of those things where it, it sounds great. I totally support this, right? It, it, people should be held account- accountable to their marketing, right? So yeah. I, I agree with that. 
But this is such a difficult thing to measure that unless they partner up with the router manufacturers or maybe like the, the cable modem or DSL modem, you know, those people, unless they're partnered up with them for doing the actual testing, I just don't see how they're going to get accurate numbers on it. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's like the, over here. I mean, a lot of the times you're renting that modem from the provider. So, you know, maybe it's in cases like that, it's a lot easier for them to do, but you're right. If you're going out and getting your own thing, I'm not sure how the, the system works there in Germany, but yeah. Yeah. I just, I just know like when I'm plugged in my docking station, there's no way to get more than 300 megabit through that dock. It, well, there is a way. Yeah, not could be in a tightwad and buy a better dock. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but there there could be a way that that application is talking to the, the router to see what it's getting, right? Potentially, but all the routers do things differently. So, you know, right. maybe you've got a Eero or a Linksys well, or whatever. And it whatever. did say that it has to be like a, like they're going to run multiple tests over a certain period of time and it has to be like less than 50% of what you're advertised of getting. I think it was right? 10%, was right? It, 10%? it was a yeah, really there, small there was threshold. Like a, uh, so if your speeds are below 90% of 90, the ISP promised, go. so that that's a pretty yeah, tight threshold right that's there. That's a tight threshold, yeah. yeah. Right, we'll be curious to see how that... Uh, plays out and when it it's not rolled out yet right this is an upcoming or suggested change right so yep uh yeah as we see that roll out that'll be interesting to see you know does it work <laughs> well did they say uh so the penalties are just the discounts no like somebody comes from the government hits you with a fish bat no and it's supposed to be automated right so like if you you run this test every so yeah. often and you're 30 percent lower than what they advertise then you should get and they haven't put it out as yeah. far as pricing but you know i imagine a 30 like percent discount on your discount. bill okay yeah. makes sense all right well let's take a look at our next article which comes to us at the register.com aws commits to update its own linux every other year starting with a release called amazon linux 2022 oh i wonder when that comes out uh that Mystery. just hit preview and i was shocked to see how long it it took the first time for them to update their linux yeah so it, it's a, a tad misleading uh, in, in that they, they update their version of Linux very frequently, right? Mm. So they, they have the Amazon Linux AMI, so their Amazon machine image of their managed and supported version of Linux. Which is based on which? Originally, it was Fedora? based on CentOS 6 oh, okay. or CentOS 5. Shoot. I believe it was based on CentOS 5 originally because it wasn't a system D release. Mm. Uh, and then they released Amazon Linux, the, the second one, a, a, their Amazon Linux AMI 2. Uh, and that one switched up to, I believe it was CentOS 6 because at that point it was System D. So you kind of had two choices. If you didn't want System D, you could run the first version of the AMI. If you wanted System D, you could run the second version of the AMI. But they would let many, many years go between releases. So between version one and version two, it was a pretty big window. But they were still doing all the security patches and updates that went along with CentOS. But as you remember, we reported on earlier this year, CentOS is becoming a bit of a strange product. Right now it's CentOS Stream. And so the big news that's a part of this is not so much that Amazon is promising to do a big update every two years, but that they're rebasing their Linux. It is no longer going to be based on CentOS. Instead, it's going to be based on Fedora. Hmm. And I was surprised to see that because Fedora is an experimental OS, even more experimental than CentOS <laughs> is. But in their AMI, it's very, very stripped down. It's I think it's like a 600 megabyte image, very wow, small. small. Um, no GUI, right? So it's command line only. They're doing the server version. But with Fedora Linux, they do a six-month rolling update cycle. 
And so that's why they're having to say, like, look, we got to do a major update at least every two years, because otherwise they're going to spend all the time backporting security fixes. So it's a pretty big change if you use the Amazon Linux AMIs. Is there any real advantage to going with uh, Linux from Amazon versus any of the other uh, AMIs that are available? So the, the biggest advantage, oh, there's two two advantages. So one, it already has all the Amazon, the AWS tooling installed. Oh. So the AWS CLI is there. You can interface with the SDK and the API. You, you can, I'm going to throw out a ton of acronyms and Peter's going to get lost here. But um, <laughs> that, that happened a long time ago. Don't worry. <laughs> so it's, it's fully integrated in AWS, just right out of the box. Yeah. Versus when you do some of the others, you have to do a little bit of work yeah. to do that. Uh, the other advantage is that when you do package updates, they come from package servers right there in AWS, so you so don't fast. have to pay for the bandwidth of oh, doing the updates, yeah. and it's fast. Yeah. yeah. So those are some advantages. I like it. I, I use it quite a bit. Okay. That's nice. So it lets you know when your packages arrive from Amazon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ten stops <laughs> That's away. All built. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow, fantastic. Different packages. Wow. <laughs> I have all right. But you can't add things to your wish list easily from that. There don't worry. Go. They'll they'll know. Yeah. They, <laughs> they know. All right, our next article comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, WSJ.com. Inside Intel's secret warehouse in Costa Rica, the chipmaker is stockpiling legacy technology for security research and plans to expand the facility to house 6,000 pieces of equipment. And this is, this is all their old equipment so they can test that things are still up to uh, snuff for security? Right. So, you know, Intel's been facing a, a little bit of criticism over the last... Oh, I don't know. How, how long has it been, Daniel, since like Spectre and Meltdown hit and all that? Oh, it was like a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's not been a great time for Intel in terms of security. And it's been like debacle after debacle <laughs> since then. Debacle after and, debacle. It's just a comedy of errors yeah, over at Intel. It's a Charlie Fox track. <laughs> it is indeed. So uh, so what they're realizing is, hey, we're, we're constantly focused on our new products but we're never really looking back at our old stuff. Like once we put it out to market and sell it, that kind of is it. It goes out in the wild and we rely on the customers to find they're, problems. They're like IOT developers, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so they're, they're revisiting that and they said, you know what, why don't we do this? We're gonna build a secret, secure data center warehouse where we'll store versions of our old equipment. So when a, a new product goes to market, they'll send one version of it over to this warehouse where it'll be available for the developers to get at remotely and they can test and, and examine. So if they learn about a new security flaw, they can go back and look at their whole suite of historical products and see what ones were affected by that security flaw. That's something they couldn't do before, and so this is an added capability and will hopefully help them improve security. What's the, what's the purpose of the secrecy behind the building? Good question. I don't know. Like, like why, why put it in Costa Rica? Yeah. Why keep it why? secret? Is that on Isla Nuba? The, uh, Hold on. Yeah. Are they making dinosaurs <laughs> over there? Secret stuff in Costa Son Rica. Of a... well, what, what was crazy to me in this article is when they went and said, Team okay, lead, we want to do Mr. this. Nedley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a Unix system. <laughs> yeah. I know this. I know. Uh, when they went to, to do this, they didn't have all their products. They actually had to go literally to eBay and buy all old versions of their own products, which yeah. just seems crazy that you wouldn't have like, hey, let's save one for the Intel Museum someday. Yeah, yeah that, that was a, weird. Uh, there was a car dealer that went through that, one of the car manufacturers where they had like sold all of their version of a part and they had to go out and buy the part <laughs> from third parties. It, that stuff happens. And yeah. Someone lost their job. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> but you got to think like the last one that rolls off the assembly line, put that to the side or right. something. Like, and I think a lot of uh, manufacturers do do that, right? Now, oh, say, wait. yeah, there I, it is. I, I gave it to you. 
If Daniel says doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> I said doo-doo. Eat it right up for me. Indeed. Go on, you, you were saying? We were, we were talking about that. But, like, I was, I, I was thinking about, like, the last Viper that rolled off the yeah. assembly line in uh, Michigan. You know, they... That goes into a museum. That, but the problem like, is they want to sell that because they're like, well, the last Viper could charge a premium for the last one or the well, first one. I know they got the first one. They got to take right? like the yeah. middle one, the <laughs> yeah. very middle yeah. Viper. Some rando Viper that never yeah. saw anybody's butt in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Costa Rica, that's interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, that, I, um, the secrecy is, is odd to me. Yeah, it is. It strange. It is interesting, though, to see them actually taking these steps moving forward. Yeah, this is something that's not necessarily going to generate a profit for them. It's a big cost. But it will help them improve the security of their products. Get it's you, good to see them do get it. Get your tinfoil hats out, boys. Go. Underneath the facility. It's just a shell company that really under the facility is where they're working with alien technologies. Right? That need the old right? intel. 5G giving you cancer. Because the aliens built their ship on, on right. like a Pentium chip. That's exactly right. So they right. need the old. They got to try to fire that bad boy back up. See, I was seeing it more like the Indiana Jones big warehouse is where all, it's all the intel stuff yeah. is. If we're going to go conspiracy theory, this Please. is in Costa Rica, so obviously John McAfee is running the data center. Oh, my God, you're right. That's yeah. without saying. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why they had to <laughs> smuggle him out of the right. Spanish prison. Fake prison. Yeah. Remember he yeah. was? Something like that. I believe so. Anyway, yeah. they smuggled him in a suitcase. Yeah, like the uh, Fiat CEO. Not Fiat. Uh, Fiat. Shoot. Peugeot? Oh, Peugeot? Did the, they the, do that? What was the guy? Yeah, he's the CEO of Nissan a and... French. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, that they uh, got out of Japan. Where'd he go? To Libya? I believe he did go to was Libya. Was like a dual yeah. citizen or something? What's in Libya? Gossin? Is his last name? Something like that. I love these conspiracy things. <laughs> they are great. Well. Anywho. <laughs> yeah. Tell us your theory. Why is this, <laughs> why is why this, is this built into a volcano? Yeah. In, well, they didn't say that, but I assume there's, there a there's giant volcanoes. In parabolic satellite dish underneath the thing. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> how they power it. All right. Our next article comes to us from bleepingcomputer.com. New Linux malware hides in cron jobs with invalid dates. I almost said invalid dates, which would be <laughs> weird. It's a whole different article. But, I can't uh, get out of bed. So <laughs> when we say invalid dates, we're, we're saying like, February 31st is the example they use. So my question is, how does this uh, actually fire then if it's never set to fire? That is actually a really good question. So uh, I, I, I'm impressed. I, I decided to read the articles this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> I decided to read. So for, for someone who you know professes they don't know much about Linux or, or Cron, I imagine. Um, never heard of that. Uh, so Cron, if you're not familiar with it, does run scheduled jobs on Linux. And so you put in a series of commands, you set a date and time for them to run, and it runs them. That's very exciting. Well, what's going on is there's a malware that hides its payload by creating a cron job with the payload and setting an invalid time on it, like February 31st. So February only has 28 days, and leap year you get 29, so it never has a 30th. They go the extra mile for the yeah, 31st. In case they add one. Why bother doing that? And the, the reason's kind of interesting. So first off, by setting an invalid date, it never runs. And so that means it never generates an error. It's able to sit there in the cron tab file, the, the cron table. Uh, so it sits in the cron tab file, never gets called, never generates an error. So most people wouldn't even notice it. And if you interact with your cron tab using tooling from the command line, you might not ever actually view the whole file and just never see the job. That's very possible. But it's not that they want cron to run it for them. They just need a place to store the code where anti-malware software won't find it. Most malware software ignores the cron job file because cron jobs a lot of times will be using sudo and doing things at administrative levels and they just kind of ignore it, skip right over it. And so if you obfuscate the text 
tick it, stick it in that contab file. It's kind of like a safe storage. And now you can have other scripts that just reach out to the contab to pull the data and run it. That was very good, Don. Yeah? You read. So <laughs> I had a question for you on this, Daniel. Okay. Does this count as fileless? Because they did describe it as fileless malware, even though you're writing to the contab. So yeah, there are multiple different types of fileless malware. Some of them, actually, a lot of them, actually, there are files. But those files aren't necessarily malicious in nature. They reach out and grab another stage, and that stuff is all done in memory, right? So once you fire off the non-malicious script, then it's now loading it itself up in the memory, and it's starting, okay, well, I need another file. Let me reach out to the network and grab that file. It's all getting done here. They're not actually making a copy and writing it to the disk. It's just reading it in to its memory space, seeing what it's supposed to do, and then executing those commands inside of memory. So that's why they're calling it fileless, because there hmm. are usually some stager uh, file that does exist. That's correct. Right. I, <laughs> I think the German government should regulate this. Yeah, yeah. And for every file that your fileless malware writes, you should get like a discount. Yeah. 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 And yeah, what's funny fileless. is like I was reading more about this um, malware and it uses a technique that I use a lot to gain remote access into systems because, you know, living off the land techniques are fly under the radar kind of stuff. So it's operating under port 443 and it's using the Linux operating system's capability to do TCP over files to make that happen. Mm. So it just opens a port and says, this is the IP I want you to reach out to, and this is the port that it's on. And Linux does that uh, innately. You don't have to have any special thing. You don't have to compile any programs or, or do any of that. You just have to say, hey, read and write into this file descriptor, and there you go. Now I have access to that system. Well, they have dubbed this the cron rat attack. Cron so rat. cron like for the, the cron job and rat for remote access Trojan. Yes. Right. Which in this case, absolutely. Yep. Uh, also sometimes known as remote administration toolkit. Uh, they ran their cron tab through virus total and the results they got back were a little bit startling. They got 12 antivirus iron engines that just were not able to analyze the file at all. Wow. Uh, and then 58 of them that gave it the green light. Yeah. So zero detections, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty scary. That's, so that's the great thing about fileless malware. I say the great thing, right? For people that are creating <laughs> fileless malware, that's great for them. Um, and it's living off the land techniques kind of all rolled into one because all that stuff is allowable. It's, it's, it's safe stuff. It's approved things. And that's why those systems are like, yeah, it's, it's Linux stuff. It's just a bash script that's trying to do things. So what's the big hairy deal? So in theory, what happens here? Do the, do the uh, antivirus companies just go and say, okay, hey, this is something we need to scan for now. We need to look at dates in, in the cron files. Or uh, that, would, that would be difficult. I mean, I guess they could create a signature for that in some way, shape, or form. Maybe looking for uh, specific obfuscations, right? Uh, you know, you'd have to like, because a lot of the code was obfuscated. Yeah, it was, it was base 64 encoded. Yeah, Can and you, compressed. So they, they would have to... Intentionally, like, decompress. try to decompress. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. fun, right? So mm. this is why nothing is safe. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice this things. Is why we can't are, have nice yeah. things, right? Especially here. the things your antivirus says are safe. Right. Those are the ones right. Because about. it's like, I would have to be able to decompress this file and then de-encode the file, which isn't super difficult, but it would have to know that that's what's up, right? In your cron job, it would have to be able to recognize, oh, this is base 64, yeah. which you can do, but that's not typical to a scanning engine 
It's just so, looking for file signatures, and that would be the difficult part of this. So what would what would probably be better here would be to implement a process where you audit your cron tabs, correct? Right for the system as well as your users. So anytime somebody adds a cron job or a cron tab changes, you have logs that represent that. You could probably catch this heuristically. You could probably say, "Hey, this is a known um, uh, malicious domain. This is a known malicious IP range." And you could sinkhole that action or create some sort of alert through your IPS to say, hey, we're reaching out to some known domain that is bad. And then we'd have to stay on top of that with our antivirus solutions to say these are known because they're just going to update it, right? Yeah. As soon as their IP block gets busted or a domain gets busted, they're going to go grab another one. Yeah. And they're going to fire it up. They're going to change the script and we're seeing it And again. you couldn't just search for February 31st because they could potentially do infinite. Not where it could be the, I mean, the 32nd month of the year. Technically, you yeah. could have accidentally done that and then you get false positives. I mean, that's yeah. unlikely. Yeah. That might be a really good way, a signature to detect that is to say, no one's going to be setting February 31st, at least accidentally, at least you get uh, popped by your antivirus to say, hey, you made a mistake here. Fix your script, yeah, and you can go fix your cron job. So at least your cron job will run if, you're, yeah, if you did it accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Okay. Well, yeah. this will be. Uh, well, luckily, I don't. I don't use Linux, so I think I'm safe. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm you safe. have a MacBook, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm safe. Guess here, what? Right? It oh, runs damn. Cron. Yeah. Son of a. <laughs> Actually, they use PLIS now. They don't have Cron on them anymore. PLIS. Oh, they, so it doesn't it's run all PLIS and uh, macOS. Yeah. I already played the Beavis and yeah. Butthead. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Trust me, I ran down that rabbit hole one day. I was like, "Where the f is Cron? <laughs> <laughs> this PLIS action is stupid." <laughs> Interesting. Well, that that's a. I mean, they're. These hackers are smart. We should uh, we should hire them at the other companies, uh, the like the real ones, to do things. So I, I I went on the dark web the other day and looked at a hacker for hire, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll I'll do a pen test for you, or I'll ruin someone's life. I don't care as long as you pay me." <laughs> yeah, I still call it a pen test. He is coin operated. <laughs> nice guy. All right, uh, let's go ahead and look at our final article for the day, which is from the segment that makes no sense. All right, this one is from Unite.ai. Why adversarial image attacks are no joke. And Don, I, I assume that this makes no sense to you for a different reason than it does to me, which is not understanding the words in the article. Uh, but this is uh, this was like confusing. That. So can you give us an overview here? All right, so... Um, I, I, it makes no sense for a few different reasons. So one, this is a, a novel type of attack, something that I was not familiar with and hadn't even considered until now. Uh, so I thought it was really interesting. Wanted to talk about it here on the show. Uh, basically, some security researchers demonstrated a type of attack they could perform against facial recognition systems where by holding a picture of a flower, they could be identified as Barack Obama. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he looks, I've always said, he, hey, he is a beautiful like a man. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> and I, I'm not talking about just any flower. Like this is a red, yellow, green, like very colorful flower. It's like, like a printed it, out yeah. Yeah, photo so of a flower. you might ask yourself, how the heck does that work? How are you able to fool a facial recognition system? And what happened here is actually really interesting. So these researchers, they looked at facial recognition systems and Facial recognition relies on artificial intelligence and machine learning, AI and ML, two buzzwords I make fun of quite a <laughs> bit. Uh, but the way those systems work is that a programmer will create the system, but then they have to train it. And they train it with data sets, or they call them data models, that they feed into the program to learn and, and basically perfect its way of identifying people. Well, what the attackers found was that pretty much everybody 
uses the same data models. They use the same training images or training dictionary to be able to, to get their their AI to the point where it's ready to do work. Why reinvent the wheel, Don? Why, why right. reinvent the wheel? Because it's hard to collect data sets, right? And that, that was something I hadn't thought of as well. Yeah. With privacy concerns, data sets that have people's faces are harder to get. So you have a lot of people building off of one common system. And so they said, well, if I take something like a picture that I know is in that data model, I can identify the salient points on that picture. So the parts of, in the case of President Obama, the parts of his face that are what the system recognizes. And we can create a similar image, an unrelated image that just happens to have those same points. And so they they created a generator that would take pictures of flowers or seashells or just about anything and apply that data mask to it. So it still looked like a flower, but it just happened to have certain contour lines in it that would match up with someone else's face. And so in theory, they could make a, a, a shirt or a hoodie that had this flower on it. And when they go walking through the airport, the facial recognition systems would think that it was President Obama, not them. That would be funny if you got a hold of his phone and you're like, oh, there you go, a little picture of a flower. See, I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm in his phone. Yeah, and, and, and I don't mean I they have to hold the flower <laughs> over their face either. Like, yeah, they, right. they could have it didn't it right matter on their where chest. it was. That was right? the weird thing. Yeah, it said in the article, like, even the fact that it was over your, your abdomen didn't tick the thing to say, hey, maybe it's yeah. weird. Maybe, you know, Barack yeah. has got some weird magical powers. He can maybe, drop his head maybe down. He's on the monkey bars and, yeah. and he's you upside down. You yeah. never know. Well, and what they found there was that the more times they trained on the data model, the more the system fixated on the face or what it felt was a face. And it excluded everything else because it was trying to be as accurate as possible just looking at the faces. And so when it looked at them, it was identifying two faces, right? A top and a bottom one, the flower Mm -hmm. directly matching one of the hits in the database. And so it picked that over the actual human's face. That's funny. Yeah, really, (laughs) really impressive. So it, it begs to begs the question, like if countries, businesses are investing heavily in this facial recognition and hoping that maybe that will replace other types of security, if there's an attack that can be pulled off like this with a (laughs) t-shirt, then then we got a real problem. Well, I mean, uh, we were kind of just joking a second ago about getting into Barack Obama's phone, but that is where the real security concern comes from, is if we're trying to replace things like passwords with facial recognition, yeah, and all I have to do is wear a T-shirt, and it goes, "Oh, you are the right user. Come on in." There's body warmth, the whole nine yards, you know, right? This this could be pretty dangerous for them. Yeah, yeah, that's what confused me because I didn't I didn't get the attack portion of this that oh I could just kind of mess up this this software, but now seeing those, those uh, examples you give, like the places where they're using that for security, like. Yep. So, so you someone would say is a, it now does make sense. <laughs> it, it makes sense to me. Well, yeah. you know, does the, it make sense to you? The interesting thing to me here, the part that didn't make sense until I learned more about it, was this isn't a software flaw. Right. This isn't like a misconfigured firewall or an exposed database. This isn't something like that. This is just the fact that everybody's using the same data model, mm-hmm. right? And the attackers now know that. So the solution is not like more secure coding or whatever. The, the solution is using a diverse set of data to train your AI. Uh, otherwise, you end up with AI that can be tricked very, very easily. So it's a whole new attack vector that had never even occurred to me. But it does it does kind of bring up some other points that maybe could be addressed in the software. If, if you detect two faces, there there could be a reason. You know, a face is normally on top of these things called shoulders and Maybe yeah, other kinds of things. If you're doing facial recognition in a crowd, right. that's, that's what you're going to see. Lots of heads. Yeah. Right. 
So I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of card counters in Las Vegas now uh, at the blackjack tables in, in floral shirts. Yeah. yeah. Like, man, that Obama's still out here gambling. Man, he but is killing it at the blackjack tables. None of these card counters <laughs> have come back, so I yeah. guess we're safe. Crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, wanted to let you know about a couple things. Hey, the, the 12 days of IT from IT Pro TV just started a couple of days ago, and we are on... Uh, it's day four today. So, so far we've seen the Rubik's Connected uh, Rubik's Cube that you can play online uh, and, and have some fun there and time yourself on, on speed cubing, things like that. Uh, I've seen an Anchor Travel Hub, an, an Anchor battery pack that's massive and can actually charge a, a laptop. And uh, just today, the Razer Naga Pro mouse, uh, which is really cool, has like uh, these little things you can pop off the side and change out for different games or different applications. Uh, a lot of fun. And there's a lot more coming. Well, I guess there's, what, eight more coming at least. Uh, so we've, we're going to be giving those away. So head over to itpro.tv slash 12 days. You can sign up to win any of those and uh, and all of them. Probably not. Sure. Uh, can you win all of them? No. <laughs> Uh, we've got AI yeah. uh, that makes sure you're a different person. That's right. And that's how that works. Just get your flower pictures out, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> damn it. Uh, also, I want to let you know about a free weekend coming up from IT Pro TV. That uh, is December 11th and 12th. It is our DevOps. Uh, it kind of focuses on Python. We've got introduction to uh, programming using Python, uh, object-oriented Python, Python data model, Python for security. So uh, head over to itpro.tv, register before the 11th of December and uh, watch all those courses for free that weekend. Uh, and webinar coming up on the 9th of December, the most in-demand IT jobs for 2022. Uh, you can prepare for your next career opportunity, perfect timing if you're looking to make a change in the new year. So uh, check that out. Uh, that's Thursday, December 9th, 2 p.m. Eastern time. ITPro.tv slash webinars where you re want to register for that. And uh, and finally, head over to technado.com. Tell us your theories about why Intel is uh, putting all this tech <laughs> in Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can see the latest episodes. You can uh, submit other feedback. You can also click the big orange button that says uh, sponsored by IT Pro TV, and you can see all the great features available at IT Pro TV and get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal membership. Also request a team trial if you're part of a, a team, uh, two or more people, and want to get some, some discounts there and, and have some other great features available for teams. That's all over at technado.com, so check that out. All right, guys, we're uh, officially in the holiday season now. You are allowed to put up your trees the uh, or, or your menorahs or your already uh, done. Yeah, festivist already done. poles or whatever. Okay. I, mine's there. out of the uh, attic, um, and it's just you kind have of a, the, the bag sitting there. You got like a, 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 a fake a artificial tree. tree. Artificial yeah. tree there, yeah. Yeah. I saw one the other day on TV, man. It was awesome. I, it, I'm a real tree person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But if I was ever going to switch, it would be this what, one what tree. Made, made I, I, it was all like, you know, have the fiber optic stuff and everything. Ooh, but cool. the way it was stored was it was like a convertible. You flipped it and then it was done. <laughs> you just what? like, yeah, it was like this like rotating transformer, transformer of a tree. Wow. It was like. I want the Optimus tree. Prime tree. Yeah. Optimus tree. Oh, check that out. <laughs> fiber optic. So it's got like really fast connection then. Dude, yeah. Super sauce. Yeah. Super sauce. All right. Well, thank you all for watching, and we will see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.